You're listening to the Dietitian Connection Student Podcast. This podcast gives you a range of tips and tools to kickstart your career in dietetics. We delve into the experiences of student dietitians and hear from the most influential and successful dietitians in the profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Dietitian Connection Student Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew, and I'm a student dietitian at the University of Queensland. So today we've got Dr. Ingrid Hickman joining us on the show. So Ingrid is an advanced accredited practicing dietitian and is also the director of research in the Department of Nutrition and Dietetics at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane, Australia. Since completing her PhD, Ingrid has developed a strong internationally recognized track record in nutrition research in the fields of metabolism, liver function, and obesity-related chronic diseases. Additionally, Ingrid is a member of the Dietitian Connection Scientific Advisory Board. Welcome to the show, Ingrid, and thank you so much for joining us. That's okay. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on the show and I'm super excited to discuss your research, your various leadership roles and also your role as a Dietitian Connection Scientific Advisory Board member. So could we start off by getting to know you a little bit better? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, So I uh, work currently as the um, Director of Research in the Nutrition Dietetics Department at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane, and that's a large tertiary hospital uh, in um, Brisbane. And uh, I um, started out as a country girl, actually. So I grew up in uh, Bundaberg, uh, a country town in Queensland, and then uh, really came into what we call the city, which is uh, to many people in Australia is the country cousin of many cities, but Brisbane was the big city for me when I came as a 17-year-old. And I always really had wanted to get into nutrition and dietetics in some way. So I came to Brisbane wanting to do nutrition and dietetics. And at that stage, uh, you needed to do a science degree uh, prior to doing a postgraduate uh, course. And so I started science always wanting to do nutritional uh, subjects uh, to learn more about nutrition. So it's something that I've been interested interested in in it for a long time Uh, and uh, then it sort of grew from there yeah. So I understand that you were one of the first graduates of Queensland University of Technology's undergraduate Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutrition and dietetics which is amazing. So could you give us a snapshot of your career journey after graduating from university? Sure so um, uh, as I said we um, uh, after finishing that um, course, which is something that I had sort of set out to do, my first career goal was to finish a course in nutrition and dietetics. Um, but funnily enough, after graduating, um, the last thing I wanted to do was to ever go back to a university ever again. <laughs> so I had really enjoyed uni to some degree, but I was really ready to work. I was ready to get out there and just see what dietetics um, could um, give me and what I could give back to dietetics. And so I was keen to really do anything. Uh, I applied for every single job that was available. Uh, I wrote letters to every 
private practice dietitian in the Yellow Pages saying that I'd graduated and I was happy to come and work for them. It's embarrassing a little bit to think back to it now. Uh, and in fact, 20 years later, I, I met one of these private practice dietitians that I'd written to and it was a bit of an um, interesting conversation for her to realize that I'd been writing letters to her to, um, to get a job back then. But really, the honest truth is that I, didn't, um, I wasn't successful for any of the jobs that I applied for. So uh, nobody gave me a job to start off with and I was um, desperately trying to find something uh, because I knew that I could offer something uh, and I just needed to be given a chance. And the first chance that I got was actually out at um, Warwick Hospital. Uh, which is a country town west of Brisbane. And there was uh, the dietitian there was going on maternity leave. So it was a temporary contract to backfill some maternity leave at that hospital. Uh, and so that got me started. And that was a fantastic job. It was so much fun. And it was a great experience uh, to open my eyes to a whole other way of uh, working uh, and living in the country. And uh, so that's what got me started. And then uh, it was a few months later where the PA hospital called me up and said uh, in a kind way, you know how we said you didn't get the new graduate job and you know how we said there was nothing else um, going? Well, actually, there are some jobs going now, so would you like to come back? And I said, yes, I'd love to come back. And so I started as a clinical dietitian at the hospital. Uh, I also did a lot of volunteer work and I was also lucky to um, get some uh, sort of like some research assistant work um, at the university just to see me through until I got a clinical role. So it was really about not saying, I didn't say no to anything um, because I was happy to just get in and get some experience doing some sort of activity uh, until a job came up. And, and then it sort of all kind of fell into place uh, and uh, I was able to then progress through some my clinical experience uh, in a big tertiary hospital, which was a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and then so that was a, a few years of working clinically and then uh, that's when I was exposed to research activity, uh, which occurs in these um, big places and that's where um, I finally had to um, agree that yes, perhaps it is necessary to go back to the university life for a short time to um, to pursue those interests, even though I had promised myself I would never, ever, ever go back to uni. <laughs> okay, yep. So that was uh, referring to your PhD. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's part of my career because without um, going down that path, without taking that time out uh, essentially uh, of my of my clinical career to pursue some research interests, uh, then I wouldn't be able to be in the in the um, job that I'm in today. So although um, often you can look at those sort of few years of, of doing that formal study as time out, it, it's not actually time out, it's actually a time investment in the type of career that, that you want. And so that... Um, aspect of doing that training, that research training through my PhD studies was a really important part of the journey, the career journey that I'm, that I'm on. So you're the Director of Research in the Department of Nutrition and Dietetics at the Princess Alexandra Hospital. Now, could you tell us about what a typical day looks like for you? So research comprises a, a, a wide spectrum of different activities. So right from the project planning stage through to um, the 
project management stage once once the project is up and running, uh, and then going through data collection, analysing data, interpreting data, writing that data up, so a lot of writing, and then actually translating that into a change in practice. The whole point of doing research is to improve um, the health of, of people. And so um, my typical day will at some stage cover that broad spectrum because um, we will have a number of projects running simultaneously that will be at different stages um, across that spectrum. So my current, my typical day would include um, talking with people about planning a project. Um, and so that would mean um, giving expert opinion on, on the design of a study, for example, or how a project may work or how it needs to what needs to happen to get it approved and get started um, then another aspect would be working with teams who are already running a project helping the management of that project um, directing that uh, or assisting uh, in in the I guess the good governance of those projects uh, and then looking at data, so um, the data that comes in from projects that's collected, analysing that data appropriately and looking at what that data is telling us, what's the story that that data is telling us and how do we interpret that story uh, with the best scientific and clinical knowledge uh, and how do we then write that story in a way that can be um, uh, understood and read by uh, our, the clinical world uh, so that that's more likely to create a change in clinical practice. And so from an operational point of view, that's kind of the kind of activities that I'm doing. But also uh, on another networking level, I'm, I'm uh, regularly connecting with collaborators and network systems, uh, mentoring other staff and students uh, to help them on their journeys and their pathway and also trying to get some time to think. And I know that's crazy because often that doesn't happen. Uh, but the most important thing you can do as a researcher is give yourself some time to really think. Think about what is the data telling you, what, do we, what questions do we need to ask next, what is the work that's going to have the biggest impact on our patients uh, and, and really trying to make those strategic decisions. So that's really what my role is, is for here at the hospital. I really like that last point, Ingrid, because I suppose it can open up further questions when you do take the time to think about things. Well, it's really um, that one of the most common things that you hear from clinicians is that they're just too busy. They're so busy, busy, busy. And that is true. Everyone is really busy. Uh, but then what can happen is that you get into this cycle of just being so busy all day, every day, is that you keep doing the same things all day, every day, and you don't allow yourself to grow and to change. And that's a terrible cycle to get into, not only uh, for your patients and for the development of the care and the improvement of care that they get, but also for yourself uh, professionally and um, psychologically, really, if you think that you're just coming in and doing the same thing every day and not getting the opportunity to be creative uh, and expand your your knowledge uh, and expand your practice, um, you know, that's, that's a sad place to be. And it's not, um, you really need to plan your day and be very committed and uh, to ensure that you allow yourself time to be creative and time to think. Uh, it's really critical to the happiness in your career, I think. It's certainly been a lesson for me. Now, I understand that you are very passionate about expanding the evidence for nutrition practice. Mm -hmm. 
and that this stemmed from completing your PhD. So do you have any advice for our listeners in terms of how they can find out their interests and what they're really passionate about within dietetics? Sure. Certainly keep an open mind. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, if I had have really been um, uh, a dogged uh, about sticking to what I had decided I wanted to do after uni, I would never have come along this path. You need to keep an open mind and realise that your interests can change, um, that an interest that you may not even realise that you had can be sparked along the way as you meet new people through your career. So definitely keeping an open mind and that your career can be flexible. You don't have to make a particular decision at one point and then be locked into that. The other thing that has really helped me is using a lot of reflection. Uh, so after a period of time, you know, reflect on what you've learned and how you felt during those times uh, and really trying to define what bits of your work um, make you really jump out of bed in the morning, make you excited about coming to work and doing those things and what bits of your work you find really fun. Uh, and also be really um, clear about what bits of your work make you slow and sad. That's my sort of uh, words that I use that are currently I'm slow and sad and that means that I'm usually embedded in something that isn't fun for me and is hard for me. And it doesn't mean that those things um, – you have to exclude completely from your work. Often you can't do that. But being aware of what things make you um, happy and excited and inspired and what bits make you slow and sad. And so you can plan your days and your weeks and your years around those aspects. And, and then, uh, you know, you can recruit people into your teams that support um, your strengths and weaknesses uh, and so that then can help you um, offset those slow and sad periods um, but that's really I think where you then realize over time certain aspects that you then can call your passion because they're the things that are always fun and they're the things that are always getting you to jump out of bed in the morning regardless of whether it's hard or not it's not about whether it's difficult it's about that feeling that it gives you when you're doing it. So Ingrid, what are the most rewarding aspects of your current role? Certainly seeing others grow and develop is very satisfying for me. Uh, I love to see clinicians who start out finding it difficult to uh, interpret even a, a, a journal article, knowing how to read it, knowing how to pick out the bits that are important for them, uh, to then all of a sudden being able to find a paper and show it to me and tell me what it's all about. That to me is, an ex is a really um, fulfilling process. Uh, uh, journey for for others uh, for, for me sorry it's fulfilling for me to see others take that journey and grow and develop in those research skills not necessarily to do a research project or to do a PhD but to use those skills in their clinical practice so that they are improving their practice all the time and essentially then that the patients will receive better care uh, to see uh, others other staff um, develop the confidence to be able to ask questions when they're in the audience, ask questions of a scientific presenter, uh, ask questions of a senior clinician. That shows that they have confidence in being able to interpret the, the information that's being presented and be confident to ask us a sensible question. That I love to see. I find that really um, inspiring uh, that that the, the work we do to help upskill uh, 
clinicians uh, allows them to then participate at a higher level, uh, a higher scientific level in the work environment. But also I love to see when people do take that next step to undertake research higher degrees and really nut out the answer to uh, a, a difficult clinical question. Uh, when you can see people dedicate a proportion of their life to really answering a question that then can be disseminated across the, the profession uh, is really exciting for me and I find, I find that um, very fulfilling. Thank you, Ingrid. So I'm interested to hear about what aspects of the role you find most challenging. Uh, well, look, research can be slow. There's no doubt about that. So there's times where you want things to happen faster and uh, they don't necessarily happen faster. Uh, there's no control over that. Uh, there's challenges with recruiting people, so having enough people coming through studies uh, to make them powerful enough. And so knowing that there's a lot of people out there that um, would benefit from, from the interventions but, but would choose for a variety of reasons not to participate, that can be really challenging. Uh, and sometimes it can be bureaucratic. So you can be working within a bureaucratic system uh, where uh, research may or may not be embedded within that system particularly well. So you know, sometimes you can feel like you're fighting against systems uh, that aren't supporting uh, research. But then there's times where, where it does work really well. So it's not all the time, um, but it's about, I guess, predicting uh, when those challenges might rear their ugly heads and having strategies to be able to overcome it or sidestep it or always looking for solutions for that. Uh, and the other challenging thing, of course, which happens with everyone doing research is, the, is funding and, and looking to improve um, the funding success of our projects and um, I guess you know we we need to do the best we can with the money that we've got and uh, always be looking for innovative strategies for how to fund our projects uh, but that, that's an ongoing issue for all research um, institutes. So would you say problem solving is a big aspect of what you do to overcome those challenges? Oh definitely definitely so you know I think um, as part of my mentoring role as well is preparing um, new staff for the challenges that lie ahead and a lot of that and I've learned that because of um, experience because you know you learn from your mistakes and then you try and teach others not to make the same mistake uh, and continually just try and grow the team because of those lessons that we've learned so um there are times where, you know, we miss out on funding and projects can't go ahead and that's disappointing. Uh, but we, we're always looking for ways that we might have a contingency plan to say, right, if this, doesn't, if this money doesn't come up, what, what would we do? How would we progress it? So always having those contingencies in place. So Ingrid, could you tell us about your role on the Dietitian Connection Scientific Advisory Board? Sure. So Dietitian Connection really what I think is – uh, the, one of the strongest aspects of, of this initiative is the evidence base behind uh, what is promoted uh, in the website. Uh, so uh, the way to do that, obviously, uh, Marie is unable to do it on her own. No one would be able to review everything on their own. Um, but being part of the scientific advisory um, committee means that at times I'll be asked um, along with other members to review uh, particular um, um, 
uh, I guess, uh, information that is about to be put up onto the website to ensure that it is uh, evidence-based um, and that the science behind the information is valid uh, and that uh, really it's, I guess, it's a screening process so that Dietitian Connection can maintain its high credibility for the evidence-based uh, information that it that it promotes. So uh, I review a number of different types of information that might come through, uh, look up the um, background to where that information has come from and make an assessment in terms of the validity of the science. So it's very interesting to get an insight into what happens behind the scenes because I know you have a really fantastic team behind you on the scientific advisory board. Mm, yeah, no, and it's good fun. Uh, to even It's a learning experience for me too. So we're always learning uh, when we investigate, I guess, and, and scratch the surface of where information might be coming from from often uh, it's a learning experience for me to to dig a bit deeper into a particular topic area uh, and that's exciting and fun for me too great so I understand that your fellowship has enabled you to travel around the world could you tell us a little bit about what that was like yes so this is a great aspect of getting into research is that you get to travel. Uh, so I really have been able to travel to pretty much most continents of on the world, um, looking at presenting my research or going to conferences or meeting with collaborators uh, and really trying to develop that international reputation and the international links uh, that are necessary to, to do good, high-quality research. Uh, and so uh, the fellowship that I was on allowed me, it was actually a, an Australian initiative. Uh, it, well, Australia suffers um, often in science of what they call the brain drain, where after a PhD uh, really is considered prestigious and important for a scientist to go uh, somewhere internationally to get that international experience, so to leave Australia and get experience abroad. And so a lot of our best scientists um, leave Australia immediately post-PhD. And then, of course, it's, it's fun to be overseas and often they'll stay there and if they're really good, they'll be kept uh, overseas and not come back to Australia. So the Australian government set up some fellowships uh, where it was a postdoctoral fellowship that said if you stay in Australia for your postdoctoral um, studies immediately post-PhD, we'll then fund you to go overseas for one of the years. So a four-year fellowship, you can go overseas for one of them. So I was on one of those fellowships and um, so I spent one year over in Italy, uh, in Torino, uh, learning some new techniques for measuring um, metabolism and glucose uh, metabolism. And so that was a wonderful experience for me because I got to spend time overseas uh, learning from different um, laboratories and different research institutes and centres and then being able to bring that back to Australia and help set up uh, our, our research program here in Australia having learnt those new techniques and having also had that that international exposure which, which is really quite important in a research career. Uh, so yeah it's a really wonderful um, uh, I guess, opportunity to be able to get around the world and see how different people um, do their research and, and also see how lucky we have it here in Australia as well. Wonderful to hear about that, Ingrid. So thank you so much for sharing. That's fine. So Ingrid, I know you are a mentor, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your mentors and how they have assisted you throughout your career. I think the, my main mentors have been people that have 
seen something in me that I couldn't see myself. So we're able to see a certain potential or a certain ability that I had yet to um, recognize in my own self. And I think in, you know, in the early days, certainly in, at university, um, people like Sandra Capra were very influential on me. Uh, they were able to encourage me and uh, to pursue a, a career at a level that I guess I hadn't imagined I'd be able to do. And then as I started working, um, certainly Elizabeth Powell and Julie Johnson, who were my PhD supervisors. So Elizabeth Powell was, uh, is a gastroenterologist and Julie Johnson is a scientist. And both of them really saw something in me as a young dietitian uh, as being able to contribute to a very high-level, uh, internationally recognised research team. And... So giving me that opportunity in the beginning uh, really was a, a way that they could mentor me to um, strive even higher. Uh, and then there's people who uh, gave me opportunities during that time uh, to keep me afloat, <laughs> so to say. So uh, Susan Ash was the director of the department uh, in the nutrition dietetics department while I was doing my PhD and she really mentored me in a way that she provided me a day a week of work which was really critical at the time. It seems like it's not much but it's, it is really important to um, ensure that people who are um, pursuing research careers get that support to still get linked in with clinical services and, and still get some work on the side and that was really important for me to keep uh, links within the hospital and then it, through um, then as I became more senior um, more senior people like particularly Professor John Prince who has always supported me uh, from early days right through to, to now uh, and he's an endocrinologist who has really supported my pursuit of metabolic medicine uh, and in a world, a competitive world of medicine uh, where there are a lot of medicos who are also pursuing similar goals, for senior people in research institutes to support non-medical people to be working at the same level um, as the doctors is really, um, really important. And he has certainly um, uh, shown public support for me and assisted me whenever I've, I've needed that support uh, to work at the same level as, as the scientists and the doctors. Wow. So you were doing your PhD in medical science and at the same time working as a dietitian one day a week? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm interested to hear about what that was like really important it's really important to not forget about what we're really trying to achieve in dietetics so when you you um and I love the science I love the medical science and I, I love um, the metabolic metabolism uh, the metabolism that goes along with understanding the nutrition science in the world that we're in um, but at the end of the day there needs to be an ability to translate all of that scientific information into a message that the the average punter in the hospital bed or in the community is able to understand and carry out and so if you're 
constantly focusing on the science and looking for the scientific answers, you can you can easily forget that you still need to be finding an answer that is doable in the community. And so keeping um, connected with um, the real world, as, as I could say, uh, with um, seeing patients, um, talking with patients, understanding the difficulties with how hard it is to change dietary patterns, uh, that's really critical to ensure that you're asking the right scientific questions in your research studies. That's such a fantastic point. So on that note, what advice do you have for listeners who aspire to achieve the same success as you? A lot of people say you need to work smarter and not harder. Uh, but I think you still need to work hard. <laughs> you do need to work smart and you still need to work hard. Uh, I really dedicated um, uh, a lot of my life to building up my career, uh, certainly through my 20s and then through my research in my 30s. And then I'm now at a position, so after that real dedication, I'm now in a position to have more flexibility. Uh, but I think you need to really be clear on what your goals might be. But as I said earlier, making sure it's also flexible. So if new opportunities come and someone knocks on your door and, and offers you something new and exciting to be able to, to, to do that. Uh, but really uh, it comes down to uh, choosing the things that are fun for you and things that interest you uh, and always having a curious mind so if you're curious to find the answers uh, that will help lead you along a, a path of success because you will constantly be looking to find those answers and improve the way that you do things and when you when you reach a goal celebrate that goal I think I didn't do that enough in the early days is that I'd always have these goals and it's as soon as I'd reach them I'd set a new goal and I'd, I'd always be um, moving the goalpost to higher and higher and better and better. And that does, um, uh, I guess, that, that works because you can constantly be moving forward. But it is important to take stock of where you're at, celebrate what you've achieved and then continue to move forward. So Ingrid, in your opinion, what are the opportunities for dietitians in the next decade? Oh, there are so many. There are so many opportunities for dietitians to take over this world. It's going to be fabulous. Really, there's two aspects, I think, uh, where dietitians' needs are going to be so crucial. Firstly, the new frontiers, so the nutrigenomics world and the personalized medicine has such an important role for dietitians uh, to build on the nutrition science in this area and to be there from the beginning to really help to build this brand new field of how we do nutrition medicine. But also um, the back to basics side of things and that's where dietitians can support real life people how to plan and buy and prepare and enjoy foods. Uh, so it's really two very different fields which need which dietitians can bridge, and that's really the way forward in the next decade is being able to translate this new personalised medicine field uh, into um, real world purchasing, uh, consuming, enjoying of food. 
That's uh, actually a component that I'm very passionate about, the nutrigenomics and personalized medicine. So this conversation is just really exciting me, Ingrid. <laughs> Look, it's really hot at the moment in terms of the media, and all, but um, there's still so much that we don't know. It, from a scientific point of view, it's such an emerging field, and that's why getting dietitians really in there from the beginning is so important so that our expertise can be helping to guide this whole field from the beginning. So we've already talked about this uh, a little bit, but could you tell us what you do to ensure you continue to grow and develop as a dietetic leader? Yes, so I... I always try and meet new leaders, uh, so I try and expand my circle of leadership uh, and certainly outside of dietetics. I think it's really important to uh, learn uh, different points of view uh, so that we're not so homogeneous uh, and uh, Within, within our profession, we can often have very similar ways of thinking. And so I think it's really important to expand your leadership network outside of dietetics. But for me also outside of medicine. So I have a very wide multidisciplinary uh, network within um, medic, medicine and, and allied health, but also expanding that outside into business uh, and uh, other areas, even uh, within uh, law and engineering and those different professions where they can have different ways of thinking about leadership is really important uh, as you go through your career. But also um, keeping in touch with emerging leaders. So um, up and coming leaders within the dietetic profession, I can learn a considerable amount from. So new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things. So it's really important that, I mean, I, I certainly don't consider myself as having learnt all there is to know about leadership because it changes all the time and as new generations of people come through they expect and warrant different styles of leadership so being able to be flexible with your style and learning from um, older wiser people but also the the young and fresh people coming through uh, is really important for me to expand my style of leadership. Thanks Ingrid. I'd love to keep chatting, but I'm sad to say that we're out of time. But I'd just like to say thank you so much for sharing your career journey with us and also giving us an insight into your current role in research. And you've given both myself and the listeners um, a lot of tools that we can use to grow within the profession and also become dietetic leaders. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, look, it's been my pleasure. Dietetics has really given me so much pleasure in my life and uh, it's a career that you can just do f forever for, your, for the rest of your life. So I'm, I'm more than happy to give back to the career that's given me so much. And for all of our listeners, we will have some extra information about Ingrid and some other resources available on our show notes and that's at dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. Also, a big thank you to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, could you please leave a review for us as well as pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends? Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Dietitian Connection Student Podcast so that you can automatically download and listen to the new episode each week. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another fantastic episode of the Dietitian Connection Student Podcast.